Good morning. So good to see you. Glad y'all are here. Um, we're we're if you're new here, we're pumped to have you. Um, we actually have a gift waiting at Next Steps for you. And so if it's your first time working with us, uh, just fill out that card, stop by Next Steps, uh, drop it off there, and they'll give you some free T-shirts and uh, and some information about our church. And so you can just make a good decision about where God would have you worship. Um, before we even dive into the message, uh, I do want you to just be prayerfully, uh, prayerful. I want you to be in prayer uh, for what's happening next door at Building B. Um, so every every other month, we're having our East 101, uh, which is just kind of the, the the course in which we talk about who we are as a church and and why it's important for you to join up with us and become a member of our church and um, kind of what it looks like to be a member here. And so all that's going on right now in Building B. And we have three families over there that are taking East 101. Um, and so we're, we're excited as they're taking that step of, of considering joining us in, in our church family here. And so uh, be praying for them as they're next door doing that. But today we're starting a, a new four-week journey. In February, we're walking through a series called Return. And it's a journey through some of those strange books that come at the end of the, of the, end of the Old Testament that you probably don't read that much. Um, but we're going to be going through those and we're calling it return simply because, uh, each one of those 12 books that comes at the end of the old Testament, we call the minor prophets. Each one of them has a certain, it's written to a particular people in a particular time for a particular purpose. And none of those three particulars involve us. Uh, we'll talk about that some as we get here, as we get there, but there, the context is very, very different for each one. However, the overarching theme of all 12 is come back to God, come to God. And um, so that's that's kind of the return piece that we're going to be talking about. And so um, these prophetic books, we're going to be going through the next four weeks, we're going to study Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah. And I know some of you have never even read any of those, but we're going to be going through those. Um, these are highly poetic, downright beautiful, beautiful uh, in their makeup, and uh, but they can be hard to read and understand sometimes. And here's why. Um, and I know it's it's this way for me is I'm busy and life is fast and I, in my sinfulness sometimes, I don't have time to study the Bible. So I want to sit down with the Bible and I give it five minutes. <laughs> I'm going to sit down. I want it to tell me something and I want to leave changed. I want to give it five, ten minutes. Um, my daughter loves mac and cheese. Uh, I believe that's uh, that's all she eats. That's probably 50% of what she intakes. And so what we've learned is that mom and daddy can't make mac and cheese for every meal. So we discovered these little plastic tubs. Y'all familiar with those? They sell them down at the Dollar General, right? These little, these little, these little tubs. And buy the Velveeta brand. It's not much more expensive, and they're worth it. Um, but you pour, you fill it up to the line, and it goes in the microwave three and a half minutes. You pour the cheese sauce in, and it's done. And what I love about that is like I don't have to do it, and it's ready in three and a half minutes. And oftentimes, that's why we come to the Bible. We come to the Bible saying, God, I got five minutes to spare. Speak to me. And here's what I promise you. God will almost always speak to you in those five minutes. However, God's word is not designed to be read that way. The Bible is what's considered meditation literature. It means you're supposed to study it and study it again and study it again. And by the time you're 85 years old, 
you're going to be realizing things about the Bible that you never saw before. And when you come to the Bible, and, and, and I've seen some of you nod, like you know what I'm talking about. You read through a book of the Bible and you go, oh, that was nice, that part, that part, and that part. And then you come back and you do it again. Well, I never noticed that before. Well, that's cool. That's speaking to me right where I am now. And every time you read it, uh, the way I like to look at the Bible, and especially these books uh, that we call uh, the, the Minor Prophets, um, especially the one we're going to look at today called Hosea. It's like an onion, right? Like an onion. She's multiple layers. You got to kind of peel one layer away to get to the next layer. And every time we're going to, so today I'm going to show you four layers of the book of Hosea. Go ahead and turn there or click there in your Bible. This is where we'll be here in just a second. Um, I was going to bring an onion, which would have been a really cool example, but I've got to cook hibachi for my family tonight. And I only have three onions and all three of them have to be cooked on my Blackstone tonight. So I couldn't spare one. Like, I can't peel one in front of you as an example. So the shop right wasn't open either. They're open now, but not then. All right, so onion, that's what we're going to. I'm going to read a few verses from the beginning, just the first three verses. Then I'm going to pray, and then we'll talk through this, okay? Uh, beginning in verse chapter 1, verse 1. This will give you a kind of an idea where what the book's about. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Judah. I mean, king of Israel. Got that backwards. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him. Go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. So Hosea went and married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Let me voice a prayer before we dive in. Father, we thank you that, um, God, that we have stories like Hosea, God, to, to push us and challenge us, God, and to teach us uh, about who you are. And, God, I pray that today uh, that we would see more of your character and, God, more of, uh, of your nature today. And, God, that we would worship you more passionately, more fully because of having seen that. God, we ask you to, to be with us today and teach us to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, we're going to go through four layers. Layer number one is this, Hosea as a story. We're going to look first at Hosea as a story. Just the simple narrative of this weird marriage. <laughs> right. So right off the bat, we find out God tells Hosea, go marry a woman who's not going to stay with you, and she's going to cheat on you and leave you. That's the call of Hosea. See, when you look at, if you look back at the uh, through the Bible, a lot of the prophets are called to do weird things. Um, they're called to live like away from everyone else, and they're or they're called to uh, called to uh, to to be essentially um, uh, like accept a life of poverty and just abandon all other things. Hosea's calling was different. Um, he was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel during the eighth century BC, and he was called to be a, a prophet to the people, but. God says this in verse 2, Go and marry this woman who's not going to stay with you. Have children who are not your own. Like That's a tough sell. Hosea is called to marry a woman who will be unfaithful to him. God confirms that at the beginning, and he marries this woman named Gomer. It's uncertain whether she comes from a sketchy walk of life to begin with or whether she's just going to, to be unfaithful after he marries her. But in a, in a world that's full of uh, reality TV and 
all the shows that we love. This is, there's some details missing here. Right, like God calls Hosea to do this, and what's the next thing we see? So he went and married Gomer, daughter of Dibble, and she conceived and bore him a son. Y'all, I got questions. Like, I've got questions about how this worked. I've got questions of, of what did Gomer say? Like, what would it, you know, and some of you that are a little bit more romantic, maybe like, I wonder how he proposed. You know, like, whatever, I don't know. But, like, there's all these details, these things that modern readers want to know when we come to the Bible, like, when we, when we open up a book or when we come to a story, there's all this backstory. Oftentimes we don't get that in the Bible, and it's frustrating for modern readers, but we've we got to recognize um, that, that this is what we have. And so we find out that he marries her, and she bears him a son. And then she has a daughter and another son. However, I want you to notice the way it's worded, and I think there's something there. Verse 3 says that she conceived and bore him a son. Verse 6 says she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Now, what's missing from the second one that was in the first one? The word him, which is a rather important word. Verse 6, verse 3 tells us that she bore him a son. Verse 6 says that she just gave birth to a daughter. Verse 8 comes and says he, that she gave birth to a son. Like we're supposed to draw from the text, it seems, that these are not Hosea's kids. But yet God calls him. God calls him to name them and to raise them. Now, if you think I'm being nit, nitpicky with the text, flip back to the very beginning. God says, not only to marry a woman who's not going to stay with you, but he said, you're going to have children. I'm calling you as a prophet to have children and raise them who are not your own. Raise somebody else's kids. Y'all, this had to be so hard on Hosea. I've, I've talked with husbands and wives over 14 years of ministry whose spouses are cheating on them. It's a deep-rooted hurt that is hard to get over. It is so hard. And then we find out in at the beginning of chapter 3 that apparently she just leaves him, like just goes away. And, and it, again, it's a little obscure as to know whether Hosea, whether Gomer has stepped into some sort of like slavery thing where she's being sold to the highest bidder kind of thing or whether uh, she's just living with a man as his wife. But either way, she has totally left Hosea living with one or multiple different men. Can you imagine the anger, the anxiousness, the frustration that's going on in Hosea's mind? God, I know you called me to this, and I know it's going to be okay, but dude, it stinks. Like, it's hard this is really tough. What are you doing, God? I hope that there's some plan behind all this. You called me to marry this woman, and you told me she was going to cheat on me, but like now she's not even with me. And then God hears this cry in chapter 3. He says this, Go again. Go again. Show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Verse 4, or verse 2, we see, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and nine bushels of barley. I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same way towards you. So Gomer has left him. 
And he cries out to God, and God says, well, go get it back. Probably not what he was expecting. He has to buy his own wife back. You know, he has to buy her back from someone else. And she comes back with him. And he says this, Don't be like, stay with me, and I'm going to stay with you, and let's love one another. And y'all, then the story just ends. Anybody watch Person of Interest? You remember the show Person of Interest? Raise your hand if you watch Person of Interest. I need to, I need to see the pain in your eyes. Okay. If you don't know this about Person of Interest, it was on for several, several seasons. And I think it was one of the most entertaining shows that was on TV. It was such a neat concept, kind of a spy whatever kind of show. And y'all, then it, they just didn't pick it back up. Like it just ended. There's this cliffhanger at the end of season eight or something like that. And then it, they just didn't come back. Like part of my heart hurts because I don't know what happened. Like I don't know the story, right? And I think we can do that with Hosea. We can come in and we can go like for nine more chapters, Hosea is just going to be preaching to Israel. And my, I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. Can we go back to chapter three? Like how'd that go? What was season two like? Like after you brought her back home, did she stay with you? Like did 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 she she did she have more kids? Like how did that look? What was it like raising those two boys, like the, the the daughter and the son who weren't yours? Like how how did that go? Did they respect you? I have so many questions because again, we're so used to this idea of of getting the backstory, and we're so used to reality TV and all this, but the reader is still left with questions. And from the end of chapter three on. For nine chapters, there's no mention of the relationship again. We're supposed to walk away from that, knowing that though our modern reality TV-driven minds want to know, the marriage is not the point. Right? It's the first layer that you see. It's the first layer. It's, it's, it's hard to hear God call a prophet to do that and not have your mind drawn there. That's the first layer that I want you to see is just the story of Hosea and Gomer. However, it's not the main point. There are other layers. So layer number two for note takers, here it is. Hosea as a representation of God. That's the second layer that we're supposed to see. And it, it, we see it from the very beginning, though, Hosea 1-2. Why does God call Hosea to marry this woman and to have children with this one, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. The reason God had Hosea marry Gomer at all was to help God's people see how they were living. So in studying this week, one of the commentaries I read, I thought it was just really, really cool worded. So I'm just going to read it to you um, because I thought it was really cool. Uh, this is what he says about the book of Hosea. God called Hosea not only to speak to the nation, but also to serve as a living symbol of the larger spiritual reality of Yahweh's love for a promiscuous Israel. By this means, the truth of their violations of the covenant was made visibly literal before them. Such a bold demonstration was necessary because the people themselves could not see their departure from Yahweh. And then he quotes Hosea 8 to, My God, we, Israel, know you. See, God's people did not see their own departure. 
God was using Hosea as this visual before them to remind, to help them see their own sinfulness. I have children, two of them, and they inherit, they inherit a lot of things from us, don't they? And some things we don't want them to. And I can be um, a little bit stubborn sometimes. And wow, they pick up on that. They, and that's, I'm the only one. Thank you. All right. I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm a stubborn person and my children, I'm now seeing them. I will find myself arguing with a six-year-old over the lyrics of a song. Y'all, in what world is it worth me winning that argument to begin with? Like, I find myself, like, no, I want, I want them to know that they're wrong and they're wanting me to know that I'm wrong. They're fighting, we're fighting for our own opinion. But oftentimes what I found is in that situation, I've just got to let them go. And they're going to go to school and they're going to sing that song. And they're going to sing the wrong lyrics and everybody's going to laugh at them for a second. And they're going to go, whoops, dad was right. And then they're going to go on about their day. Or I'm going to tell them, be careful up there, be careful up there. And they're going to fall off and hurt themselves. Like I told you, you know, there's some things that your children are going to have to see with their eyes. They're going to have to experience as bad as you want them to get it on the front end, they're going to have to experience it. That's what we see with the nation of Israel here. If you were to ask the nation of Israel, you know, God's saying all throughout, he's using these prophets to say, love God, follow God, be with God. And they're going, we are. We are. Like, we're good. We're doing those things. We love God. But what they weren't seeing is that they also were trying to love all these other gods. And they were following all these other guys. And so God puts before them a perfect visual of what was really going on in their nation. And then they can't avoid seeing it. And this is, I think, uh, uh, man, it really starts getting deep and crazy. Uh, as Hosea is a representation of God. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, of course, it's talking about Gomer. And it says that Gomer... Uh, she's being with these other men because they're giving her things. Right? Like they're, they're giving her oil, and, 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 and I can't remember all it said because I don't have it open here. Uh, but they're giving, they're giving her these things, and so she's, she's with them because of the things they're giving her. And then we see in verse 7, she will pursue her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will think, let me go back to my former husband because it was better for me there than it is now. She does not recognize that it is I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil. I lavished silver and gold on her, which they used for Baal. What is Hosea saying? Man, I was the one that gave her all the stuff. She, she, she's experiencing good life over there because of what I did for her. And then we take that, this beautiful, painful accusation. God's people were pursuing other gods while God himself was footing the bill. What do I mean by that? What we know about the nation of Israel is that when they came in and conquered the nation, they learned that there were other gods than the one they had always heard about. Now, they were false gods, but they thought it was pretty cool. And so they start learning about these other gods, and they find out, well, this is a god of fertility, and this is a god of, of uh, produce, crop, vegetation, or whatever, whatever the term is, farming, agriculture. There we go. Like we, and so they, they start adopting these other gods because what's better than one god? more gods right 
in case this God just happens to be sleeping, maybe this one will answer my prayer, or this one, or this one, or this one. And so they begin to worship multiple gods. And then, guess what happens? As they make, we know that they actually made sacrifices to these false gods, these gods of fertility, these gods of agriculture. And then guess what happens when the crops come up well? Who gets the glory? The God of agriculture. Ah, great Baal, you were awesome. Thank you for this produce. And God's up there going, I say, what? Like, that's Hosea in this situation. This is God now, right? Like, God's looking at this nation going, you're, you're following these other gods, but I'm the one that's been providing for you. If you had fertility, it came from me. If you had, if you had a good agriculture, that came from me. Like all these things that you're looking for in other gods, I'm the one supplying them, and you're not even giving me anything in return. So God is the husband who continually pursued a most unlovely people, the nation of Israel. And I believe God's using Hosea's situation to remind the Israelites that he's still for them. Like, I still made a covenant with you. Back with Abraham. I made a covenant with Abraham that I would love you and you would be my people, right? And then you messed it up. But guess what? Then I made a covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai or with God's people with Moses. And here's this covenant. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be a priesthood of nations, all this stuff. Well, that didn't work either. And you you bailed on that. And God continually comes back and continually redeems and draws in the nation of Israel, and yet they continue to leave him. So there's at least three points of connection here between Hosea and God. And so just as Hosea married a woman who was bound for unfaithfulness, so God entered into a covenant with Israel knowing they would be unfaithful. That's so hard for us to grasp. Like that God's not, God wasn't caught off guard when Israel sinned the first time. Like he makes that covenant with Abraham and says, hey man, I, I want you, I want your family to be my family. And then they blow it. And God didn't go, oh, what? Like he, he knew it. When he entered into the covenant, he knew it. Just like Hosea, when he stepped into the marriage, he knew his wife was going to be unfaithful. God wasn't left speechless. He knew what he was walking into. He knew the relationship was going to be one-sided throughout much of history. And the second thing, Gomer was brought into a home of a loving husband who showed her a good love and a good life, but she chose to leave him anyway. And in the same way, Israel had tasted of the goodness of God. God was not some distant God who kind of threw some bones to him every once in a while. God had proved his love to, to Israel over and over and over again. Yet all throughout the Old Testament, they choose to be unfaithful, to turn their back on him and to pursue these other gods. And the third connection, just as Hosea continued to pursue Gomer over and over again, so God continued to pursue, pursue Israel to moments where you think, hey, I'd bail on it. Like if any of us are God, in most of the situations we go, eh, let's try something else. Like we, he would have, there's no, everyone looking at the situation would have just said, give up on them. They don't love you. Hosea had a tough task. So we're seeing in the text, but there was something much greater at stake. 
Yes, he was God's representation on earth before his people during his time. But I'm going to start bringing it kind of to a more modern application. Because again, at this point, we've got, we've got this marriage that happened a long, long time ago. And then we've got this, this message that's to an ancient group of people. But none of that includes us. And so let's, these last two layers, I think, are going to, are going to tie in well for us in 2022. Layer number three, Hosea serves as a modern call to repentance. Modern call to repentance. So there are several sins that are pointed out here in Israel, several things that, that God uses Hosea to call out. But it's super contextual. It's a particular group of people in a particular time in a particular place, right? And it does, so it doesn't apply directly to us because you're not in 8th century B.C. and you're not an Israelite living in the northern kingdom. But there are some things that are so plainly spoken to us in this book that we can apply to us. And I believe one of those is Hosea 14, 1 and 2. It seems so clearly general and unspecific that it, it must as well apply to us. It's a modern call to repentance. Verses 1 and 2. Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. Like, y'all, that's a prayer we could pray every day we come in here, right? There's nothing besides the first word being Israel. <laughs> Other than that, that thing applies to me and you today. We need to come to God. We have sinned against God. Even as a people, as a church here, we've sinned against God. We need to take the words of repentance with us and return to the Lord. Ask him to forgive us and accept us and repay him with praise from our lips. This is Hosea's major message to God's people. Acknowledge who God is and repent. And most of his, most of his message from his mouth says, y'all have made a mess out of this. Like the, the, little, the little nation you got going here is a mess. And it's not God's fault, it's yours. Return to God, beg for mercy, and let him clean up this mess that you've made. But the message that doesn't come from Hosea's mouth, but it comes from his life and marriage to Gomer, says that we have a God who pursues us, even when we are unworthy and unlovely. So what is the, what is the call for our repentance? It's not, you've made a mess of things. Go get cleaned up. There's churches today, you can go hear that message. If you just love to have your toes stomped on and feel like garbage walking out of the church, go ahead. But I don't believe that's my call as a pastor to tell you that. Only that. I believe the call of God on my life was the same as that of Hosea when, when he was called into this crazy marriage. It's to tell you the reason you should repent is that you have a God who is pursuing you all the time. Even in the midst of your mess, even in the midst of your unloveliness, God is pursuing you. Some of you here today, you're not pursuing God with the passion you need to. You're, not, you're chasing after other things. They're probably not some, some idol sitting on a mantle. But there's something in your life that you're pursuing that is not God. My message 
is not one of pointing out all your sin and making you feel bad about yourself. The reason for your repentance today is because you are loved. Even at your most unlovely, you are loved. God is pursuing you even now. Repent and be with Him again. There's one more layer, the inside little layer of that onion. That's this, Hosea as a type of Christ. Hosea as a type of Christ. Christ, of course, being from the Hebrew word Messiah. So as a type of Messiah. Hosea doesn't just signify a God. He doesn't just represent a God who loves an ancient group of people living in the Middle East. I believe Hosea represents the gospel of Jesus. Hosea 3, 1 through 3 says this. Then the Lord said to me, Go again. Show love to a woman who is loved by another man. She's an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to love, love other gods and love raisin cakes. And y'all, I told the first service, you're going to have to do the research on the raisin cakes. There's about three different views, and they all weird, okay? It's one of those contextual things that gets translated different ways in different Bibles. Raisin cakes had something to do with other gods. There you go. Don't worry about it, okay? But they were they were pursuing other gods. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and nine bushels of barley. And I said to her, live with me, and I will live with you. The price Hosea paid for Gomer was 15 shekels and some barley. And that seems weird, right? Do you know the conversion rate on that? Anybody got like a barley to shekel conversion rate? <laughs> I don't either. But what we find actually written in the Bible, but also uh, throughout history, is that the, the common going rate for a slave for a life was 30 shekels of silver. So we have a guy going and buying his wife back for less than that, it seems. Why? For Hosea to have not paid 30 shekels of silver and to have paid 15 plus some other weird stuff helps us see, most scholars will believe that Hosea didn't have enough silver to pay the full debt. So he literally has to barter for the rest. What that means is that Hosea gives up everything for her. He didn't have 30 shekels of silver, but what he had was 15 shekels and some barley. Now, it's one thing to give up everything that you have for someone who loves you back. But it's a whole other thing. To give everything you have for someone who has time and again proven to be unfaithful. Why in the world would Hosea pay such a price for such a horrible person? Let's flip it. In the same way as God was in pursuit of us, an opportunity came for him to pay a price. And just as people would have looked at Hosea and said, dude, it ain't worth it. Like she's going to leave you again. It ain't worth it. Everyone in the world will be whispering in the eyes of God as he's looking at me going, he ain't worth it. Like he's going to let you down. He's got, a, he's got, a, he's got sins that are going to continue to come up in his life. He's going to pursue the wrong things in life over and over and over again. You're going to have to draw his tail back into repentance so many times. He's got a depraved mind. He's got, he's got all these things in his life. 
Why in the world would you pay such a high price of your own son to redeem Heath Haney? That's a ridiculously high price. But God said yes. No one in the world would make the same decision. But that's what God did. Why in the world would he pay such a high price for such a horrible person as me? Here's what I know. I can't explain it. I don't know why he did it. The Bible actually doesn't tell us other than he loved us. All I know is, is that God, what I have witnessed in my life is the same thing that we witnessed in Hosea and, and Gomer's marriage. Is God is a God who continually pursues me. You see, you and I are sinners and we deserve to be separated from God forever. But Jesus took on the separation that we deserved. He suffered the full weight of our sin. And the Bible says then he died in our place. And today, you can trust in this God who is, y'all, in hot pursuit of you. Like, He wants you bad. He wants you to return to Him. Today, you can be saved from your sin by trusting in this God. And I'd love to talk with you about it. I'm going to stand out here on the front row during this last song. And like, if you, if you need to talk to me, you need to trust in Christ today for the first time, like, I want to talk with you about that. Just come and slide in beside me on the front row. But also, if you're living your life according to other idols, I don't know what idols are sitting on your mantle. Greed, popularity, money, something involving the workplace, power, whatever it is. Maybe it is uh, even even other other lovers in your life that are not your spouse, if you're married. Like whatever it is, whatever those idols are that are on your mantle, the sinful things that you're pursuing, here's what I want you to know. Those things will never pursue you. But God does. He is always pursuing you. Those idols will let you down time and time again. Put your full weight into your, into your family. They're going to let you down. Put your full weight into money. It'll run out. Everything However, we have a God who is pursuing you. And I call you as Hosea called the nation of Israel. Repent. Return to God from whatever pursuit you're in that's unholy. Return to God. Today, if you need help with any decision that God may have laid on your heart, again, I'll be standing right down here on the front row. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Uh, Patrick and the worship team are going to lead us in another really cool song. It's actually a song that we used to sing to our kids when they couldn't sleep, or I did. Kelly had her own song, but I always sang uh, 10,000 Reasons as I rocked them and walked in circles in their, in their rooms. So I love this song. Um, but I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to stand down here again. If you need to come to the altar and repent and return to God in your heart, uh, if you just need to pray where you are or you need to come talk to me, please do it. So I'm going to say a prayer after I pray. We'll all stand and respond. Father.